Letter two, part two of the Outcast by William Winwood Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Letter two, part two. The review. The custom of creating worlds and of peopling them with animated beings who reflect the vices or follies of the day or offer an example of ideal virtues and moral excellence has of late become popular in art and though it may be a fashion which like others of its kind will soon pass away it is in the meantime for us who are critics and censors to pass judgment on all such works as succeed in obtaining the attention of the public the anonymous drama which has just been performed is said to be a first attempt and this we should have inferred from internal evidence for though the work is by no means deficient in power and contains some original ideas there is a want of symmetry in form and of finish in detail a prodigal waste of raw material a roughness of style and execution which bear the stamp of inexperience however as will be shown it is chiefly on moral grounds we think this production ought to be condemned the work is simple in conception and modest in design we have not here as in some ambitious compositions a number of inhabited worlds contributing each its part to the story one system only is placed upon the stage and the action is confined to one planet of that system at first the world was presented to our view as a fiery cloud it became compressed to a sun which advanced through space rotating on its axis and cast off certain pieces from itself like tires from a wheel these cooled into planetary bodies and one of them called by its inhabitants the earth was the scene of the drama which we shall now endeavour to describe we observed with unmixed pleasure the gradual growth of the planet from a cinder enveloped in cloud to a globe covered with water the sun rays causing the origin of life the floating animalcules and the one-celled plants the rise of the land from the deep and its naked skin being clothed with a great mantle of palm and firm vegetation monstrous reptiles and ungainly quadrupeds inhabited the primeval marshes of the earth and at night the croaking of enormous frogs rose like thunder in the air but as time flowed on the face of the earth assumed a more gentle and benignant expression flowers blossomed in the forest and the voices of singing birds were heard the quadrupeds became less gigantic in size but more graceful and varied in their forms and finally men appeared upon the scene roaming in herds through the forest clambering the trees jabbering semi-articulate sounds but as language formed upon their lips the erect posture was assumed the forefoot was used as a hand weapons were invented fire was discovered caverns in the rock burrows in the ground and platforms on the trees were exchanged for huts surrounded by gardens wild animals were tamed the seed-bearing grasses were cultured into grain canoes glided on the waters commerce became the rival of war which once incessant was now occasional the tribes were united into nations the nations into empires great cities flourished on the banks of rivers and by harbours on the seashore classes were divided the arts and sciences arose at first these were kept as state secrets and often perished with the state at first wealth culture and power belonged exclusively to the dominant caste 
while the masses laboured in subjection but by means of useful inventions knowledge was widely diffused and the passion for liberty entered the bosom of the people one nation after another shook itself free from the tyranny of kings and the tyranny of priests when class restrictions were removed all could hope by honest labour to better their condition and all striving for their own ends assisted the onward movement of the world at a later period the social equality of men extinguished personal ambition and the welfare of the race was the aim of those who laboured for distinction fame could only be obtained by adding something to the knowledge or the happiness of men finally war ceased the malignant forces of nature were subdued vice and disease were eradicated the earth became a pleasure garden and men learnt to bear without repining a painless death in extreme old age we suppose that the moral purpose of this drama is to teach the doctrine of improvement and to illustrate that tendency to progress which pervades the universe the evolution of mind from matter by means of natural law shows the innate power of that tendency or force and the efforts by which man achieves his own comparative perfection are no doubt intended as a protest against that habit of quiescence and content which is perhaps the natural failing of immortals we think that the satire on theology is wholesome and just nothing could be more ludicrous than to see these ephemeral beings these creatures of a moment building little houses in honour of the first cause and glibly explaining mysteries which we do not profess to understand this may serve as a warning to certain presumptuous philosophers who fabricate theories respecting the supreme for how can we know that we are not in the same relative position to beings of a higher race as those pygmies we create to ourselves at least it is certain that our intellects great as they are or great as we think them to be are unable to explain primary phenomena or to solve the problems of cause existence and futurity so far then we go with our author and in numberless ways he has justly derided the follies of our race we can afford to forgive him for creating human reviewers to parody our profession the more so as coarse caricature fails of its effect but we must object to the introduction of personal portraits it was settled long ago as a dogma in art that mere copies should have no place in a creation this however is not a defect on which we shall dwell for though in itself serious enough it is light and trivial when compared with the faults it is now our duty to expose in the first place it is most degrading that these men who are made in our image who in their exterior form and mental faculties partly resemble ourselves should be suffered to retain both in body and mind so much of the lower animals the creator may perhaps reply that he laid down the law of gradual transition and that all traces of the beast in man could not be expelled except by departing from the law but since he transformed by gradual transition the muzzle or snout to the lips of beauty radiant with smiles the hairy paw to the skilful and delicate hand he might surely have found some way to obliterate by change the instincts and actions of which we complain no one can deny that he is ingenious enough when he chooses the shark's jaw and the serpent's fang are models of dexterous contrivance though we do not envy him these inventions in any case the difficulty is one of his own making 
and if he could have devised no other plan he should have modified his law of evolution it might have been less philosophical but it would have been more decent and we must own that we prefer an error in art to an outrage on decorum secondly the development of matter to mind of quadruped to man of savage to civilized nations is laudable enough as an idea but how has it been carried out as regards the first stage of the progress we have only to praise and admire but how has progress been produced in the animated world we are almost ashamed to explain a law which in its recklessness of life and prodigality of pain almost amounts to a crime in cold forethought the creator so disposed the forces of nature that more animated beings were born than could possibly obtain subsistence on the earth this caused a struggle for existence a desperate and universal war the best and improved animals were alone able to survive and so in time evolution was produced we shall not deny that there is a kind of perverted ingenuity in the composition of this law but the waste of life is not less clumsy than it is cruel by means of the same struggle for existence man was raised from the bestial state and his early discoveries were made afterwards ambition of fame and later still more noble motives came into force but that was towards the conclusion of the drama at first every step in the human progress was won by conflict and every invention resulted from calamity the most odious vices and crimes were at one time useful to humanity while war tyranny and superstition assisted the development of man evil unhappily exists and we do not condemn its employment in art we are not in favour of those impossible dramas in which only the virtues are displayed but we do condemn this confusion of evil and good and maintain that nothing can be more immoral than to make crime the assistant of progress and vice the seed of which virtue is the fruit again death is a useful and perhaps indispensable appliance in works of this kind but so potent a means of exciting sympathy should be employed with moderation now what do we find here the law of evolution is the law of death massacre is incessant flowers animals and men die at every moment the earth is a vast slaughter-house and the ocean reddened with blood nor incredible as it may seem is that the worst with a talent for torture which rouses our wonder only next to our disgust the creator has smitten the animated world even to the insects with numerous painful and lingering diseases while the intellect is also afflicted with maladies peculiar to itself the affections which at first would appear to afford some meagre consolation in the martyrdom of man are themselves too often the cause of mental pain and incurable despair what can be said for such a world what kind of defence or excuse can there be for its creator it is true that he made men himself but that does not justify his cruelty the supreme has endowed us with the power of producing and destroying animated forms but so terrible a gift should not be abused we should never forget that though these little creatures live only for a moment they are yet sentient beings and their torments while they last are real and intense who could view that melancholy earth 
and those writhing masses of humanity who could hear those agonizing cries without a shudder of pain and a glow of honest indignation against the author of such woes and wrongs many of the audience withdrew while others hooted the creator and at one time we thought his planet would be damned but all's well that ends well is the easy maxim of a pleasure-seeking world and the public fickle and easily impressed applauded the virtuous finale and forgot the horrors that had gone before we were unable to do so and declared that it seemed to us a most cruel and immoral exhibition that is what we have to say we know nothing of the author but if we should meet him at a future time shall be happy to hear what he can say to exonerate himself we do not wish to be too hard upon a young beginner whose talents cannot be disputed and we trust that this critique which is not unkindly meant in spite of its severity will induce him to reform when next he produces a world let it be one which we can take our wives and daughters to see which will excite in the audience none but the nobler sentiments and which also we must add will give us a more favourable impression of the personal character of its creator end of letter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine